Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hey everybody, welcome to the 2023 Rantathon. For those who do not know anything about this, it's just a show where I just have particular topics and I just talk about them. It could be a rant, it could be something that's important, something that's happening in society. It can be, you know, mostly things done in the church or in social media in the name of the church. And so, you know, we cover a variety of topics. There's uh, almost no rhyme or reason. Uh, we've done, you know, rantathons on eschatology. We've done them on uh, the politics. We've done them on just church things. Um, this year, we've got a couple topics we're going to look at more in depth. And really, it's just kind of a fly by my seat type show. I don't really have, you know, other than the topics, I don't really have too much of an agenda. And uh, sometimes that's okay. You know, we can lead ourselves down the rabbit hole and kind of discover where that is going to take us. And so, um, I, I hope to keep this, you know, under an hour. That's the goal. Sometimes they can go a little longer, especially if I have a guest or something and, you know, the rants can certainly get deeper, but, uh, it's just me today. So we're going to look at, uh, probably three or four topics. Um, <clears throat> and maybe, maybe five, depending on my mental capacity by the end of the show. But the, we're going to start primarily with something that's really kind of started to bug me um, on social media. So this is kind of like a two-part type um, issue, and and really what it's going to do is it's going to lead us into a, a whole plethora of problems. Uh, and and the first problem that I have really encountered this year is people speaking on things that they're not qualified to speak on. And and I'll be the first to admit I'm not you know the most well versed, most expert person in the world of the Bible. Um, I don't have a language degree. I'm not proficiently read or diverse in the Greek and Hebrew. uh, And I've always admitted that on the show. But there are things that people speak on, especially when it comes to scripture, that they have absolutely no prior qualifications to speak on. They are not qualified to do it. And I think there's a premise to being 
you know, a, a Christian and understanding the constructs of the Bible and understanding the constructs of faith and things like that. But to, you know, lead a ministry or have an online ministry when you don't have a degree, you're not actively seeking a degree, um, can be dangerous. And we've seen that take shape quite often, especially on Instagram where, you know, everybody has, you know, a quote unquote little ministry. Now, I, I don't really see a problem with people who uh, will perhaps share scripture or share quotes and things like that. But when you start to kind of dig into the divulging and explaining those quotes and then to start teaching theology, uh, it can get into some messy waters. But that's not primarily the focus of this particular portion. The, the focus is people who have uh, uh, very little to no understanding of Christianity and the constructs of the faith of Christians and still speaking with authority on this topic. Uh, I have one particular person in mind and it kind of, it's kind of a painful thing for me because I like this person. I appreciate his advice when it comes to health and fitness and business. Uh, I think he's, uh, you know, very knowledgeable when it comes to sports. He's a very, very intelligent human being, but when it comes to the things of the Bible, he, he's not well-versed. And he makes arguments that are very elementary and he makes statements that make it seem like he's right no matter what. And one of the particular topics that he picked up on was the, uh, the Roman Catholic church of late. And we'll talk about this in a little bit here with the Pope's ruling over the blessing of the uh, homosexual marriages, but he is very much pro, um, you know, pro homosexual, you know, lesbian and gay marriage and, you know, he, he's not so much in, into the whole like transgender movement and all that, but he's very much progressive to the state of people should be able to marry who they want. And, you know, and, and look, I, I know plenty of people in that category and, and that's fine. I don't particularly care for it as a topic because it's not something that I support. However, this individual does. And the conversation got routed around, you know, the, the Pope's recent ruling and he, you know, goes on ranting about how, you know, the Bible doesn't say or has never said homosexual until 1947. You know, it's the same old junk over and over again. And so I did a little bit of some just side study just because I was, you know, curious for myself. And I wanted to um, really dig into the material at hand because I think it's it's an important topic and I, I find that we really fail in comparison to understanding the whole construct of what really takes place. And we, the, the word used that he's questioning, you know, doesn't directly translate to homosexual. However, it can be used in conjunction in the way the Greek and the Hebrew take it, it would be a homosexual type relationship. And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of those language translations and things like that. And I've got a nice little excerpt here. I'm going to read in a moment, but he really very much, um, was very, you know, hard, strong on this topic. And he was just, he was just bent on demolishing anybody who stood in his way, even to the point where somebody had actually opposed him. And he 
uh, just went on a tangent against this person, you know, dishing out all sorts of derogatory names and insults. And I'm like, you know, you claim to be Catholic, but yet here you are cutting down this person. And I, you know, I don't know this person and I don't know anything about him, but he, you know, obviously got his name ran through the mud with this, you know, particular person in question. So we're going to call this particular person Billy Bob because I'm not just going to keep saying person and get everybody confused. So Billy Bob is the target of this conversation. He's the one who makes the statement on Instagram that, you know, the, the Bible's never had the word homosexual in them until, you know, later in uh, time until the 1940s, which obviously we know is not a, the proper way to uh, understand the scriptures. And he goes on to say that Jesus never talks about it, which is true, but not quite. Because in Matthew 19, if you've been listening to the show, we had an episode on marriage. And Jesus makes a statement that, you know, marriage was as it was in the beginning between a man and a woman. So we have to understand from a Christian perspective, the priest, pastor, bishop, whatever title you want to assert to us, is not biblically authorized to bless a gay marriage. And the reason being is in the gay marriage, there is no way for them to be fruitful and multiply without having to do harm to somebody else. And by that, I mean, you have to have a surrogate or you have to go and adopt or you have to go and, you know, do something outside of the normal boundaries of marriage. And, and I'm not saying that adoption is bad because it is wonderful. And, you know, I hope someday that my wife and I can potentially adopt uh, one or two kids if we can ever get ourselves to that position. But I'm saying it is not natural for a homosexual couple to have kids. It's not humanly possible. And so we as preachers cannot bless this union or bless this marriage. Now, if they want to get married in the construct of a secular marriage and go to a courthouse and get married, fine. But a church does not have the authority to bless it. And he thinks that that's you know, a really poor position for the church to take on and we should reevaluate our position and all this. And then he starts quoting stuff from like Leviticus and saying that, you know, we should not be eating shellfish and we should not be wearing fabric uh, clothes with made of two more, more fabrics. And I get his premise and trying to argue this position, but when you start to muddy the, the construct of the law into what God has deemed to be perverse, it gets into some really messy waters and it becomes very much um, a, a terrible position. And, and quite frankly, you're leading people straight. And then in fact, Somebody commented on a story and he shared the story that uh, this person is on Billy Bob's story. And this person says, you know, I'm a Christian pastor and I completely support everything that you're saying. And I'm so glad to, to see other people out there. And and that that to me troubles my heart that this person is a Christian pastor supporting Billy Bob's terrible theological position. And it's like, okay, so you, one, never studied the Bible, never studied language, never studied the history of the Bible or the composition of the Bible, and you've never studied anything in the realm of how we get to what we have. That, to me, shows that you, as a pastor, are unqualified to be in your position. You should be removed from your post. But Billy Bob is not a pastor, so he is going to speak as you know, under his own authority, if you would, and he's going to assert that he is right and every Christian who stands in, in, in opposition to him is wrong. And that really bugs me. Like I said, I really respect his positioning on 
wealth, business, you know, health, uh, fitness, sports, you know, like he's very knowledgeable in those categories, you know, things that I take interest in. I like to, um, you know, understand how the money works in the world. And I have an interest in how the stock market works. And I have an interest in my own personal health and my own personal fitness. And so I take very, very, very close attention to, I pay very close attention to my blood work and and my diet and all of this stuff. But when it, it crosses the line for me, when people start to speak on a position that they are simply and sorely not qualified to speak on. And so I'm going to read a little excerpt. Uh, this is from the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. There's two pieces, or there's actually a couple pieces here I'm going to read on. So this is me, quote unquote, citing that source for you. Uh, this begins, I don't have a page number, but it's the New Testament message of liberation. And we're going to read um, a little chunk here. It's going to go down to the gospel, Paul's epistles, and then it's going to dig into Romans chapter one, dealing with the particular topic at hand. So just to provide some context, um, in fact, there's a whole bunch of, um, actually, we could probably even rewind this as I'm kind of scrolling up here on this uh in this book, we're going to go back to the Old Testament and maybe even further because there's a there's a whole bunch of stuff here uh, that I didn't even see last time. So this is, um, again, the Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. It looks like it's um, page 351 if you have a copy of it. And this is um, just something that I had in Logos that I was using when I was doing some language studies and trying to you know, really solidify my thought around his terrible theological position. So let's, let's read this. We're going to start with the actual title on homosexuality, then it's going to go to the ancient world, and then we're going to read. So it's going to be a few minutes, so just bear with me. It is fascinating, so I hope you, uh, you, you stay with me here. Uh, homosexuality. It is significant that the word homosexuality did not enter the English vocabulary until the early 20, uh, 20th century. The word, and with it... The concept of lifelong primary sexual orientation towards members of one's own gender was unacknowledged and probably unknown in the biblical world. Some today will therefore argue that the Bible appears to condemn uh, appears to condemn can be distinguished from homosexuality. The, uh, they maintain that homosexual orientation to the extent that it develops in early childhood or even before birth is not concisely or consciously chosen and is therefore not sinful as long as this form of sexuality is expressed in a monogamous and or agreed upon homosexual relationship merely constitutes an expression of biblical view of marriage in order to assess the legitimacy of this approach it is important to begin with an understanding of the view of the same gender sex in the ancient world the ancient world because there is so little evidence of same-gender sex before the New Testament period, our view of the ancient world must focus more narrowly on the Greco-Roman period. Writings during this period demonstrate familiarity with sexual acts between members of the same gender, but these do not understand; uh, these are not to be understood to result from an orientation. Sexuality was important in the ancient world only in terms of male. Uh, Prognature. I can't speak today. My apologies. It appears that the rape of other males and use of boys for sexual pleasure uh, were viewed as acts of dominance, violence, and ex- uh, experimentation by otherwise heterosexual men. 
as a phase or as an occasional act, sex between males did not deter detract from the male position. In some circles, most notably those of the intellectual elite, philosophers and poets and relationships between men and boys were alluded as the highest expression of romantic love. These relationships were not reciprocal, however. Males who were willing or not, the receiving partners in these acts, especially on a repeated basis, were socially outcast. Boys were brought as uh, were bought as slaves and discarded when they reached puberty. Lesbians who were by definition, reducing the possibility of male progenitor were scarcely mentioned and consistently condemned. Thus, the modern supposition of a tolerant pagan society substantially opposed by Judeo-Christian taboos is a complete myth. It was, rather, a culture almost empty of regard for the sexual rights and desires of anyone but the small ruling class of men who commonly exercise their almost limitless privilege at the expense of these young women and men in their power. The Old Testament, in, into this world of ruthless sexuality, came the biblical message of restraint, justice, and sexual complementarian, which was revolutionary in its implications. From the beginning, it is acknowledged that humankind is created in two genders that together bear God's image, Genesis 1.27, and together constitute a unity of flesh, Genesis 2.24. The reaffirmation of these two notions in the key New Testament passages on sexuality, Matthew 19, 1-12, and 1 Corinthians 7, 12-20, demonstrates the continuity and importance of sexual differentiation in the construction of a normative biblical sexuality. More simply put, humankind is created to find human completion only in a marital union of two sexes. While there will be legitimate con conditions under which this union will, uh, will not occur, a.k.a. celibacy, there are no conceivable conditions in which the union can occur fully without sexual differentiation. More specifically, in the terms of homosexuality, then same-gender partners can, at best, pretend to affect a differentiation that is philosophically and perhaps psychologically impossible. Some theologians have suggested that to be created in the image of God according to Genesis means to be socially fellowship, to be in social fellowship with other persons. Others deduce that homosexual relations are merely an expression of the category of marriage under this rubric of fellowship, that is, intimacy and not biologically, is the appropriate measure of conformity to the Genesis marriage model. But apart from the debatability of this notion of the image of God in Genesis, the definition of marriage cannot be limited to the meaning of the image of God. However, important the social and spiritual aspects of marriage may be, the uh, physical aspect is no less fundamental to its definition. Sexual orient uh, differentiation in 127 intends to be physical union, then becoming of one flesh, 224, because homosexual relationships cannot produce a unity of sexually differentiated beings, there cannot be a marriage. Essentially, what that boils down to is exactly what I said. Because a homosexual marriage cannot reproduce and have children, it cannot be considered a biblical marriage. So there's a whole bunch more on this uh, building out. And again, just for time's sake, I'm going to skip down here uh, to the New Testament. Um, and we're going to read uh, the Gospels here in Paul's epistles. So 
There is no explicit reference to same gender sex in the Gospels, but there may be an echo of reference found in Mark 9, 42 uh, through 10, verse 12, as well correlating to Matthew 5, 27 through 32. A passage in the Tumult uh, links masturbation and pediastery together as violations of marriage, being a pedophile, uh, and in doing so makes reference to harming children, offending with the hand or the foot, and cutting off uh, offending limbs rather than going down into the pit of destruction. These similarities of wording the gospel passages may suggest a common understanding of the first century that putting a stumbling block before one of the little ones involved sexual sin against them. Now to Paul's epistles. The two brief references in Paul's letters that where same gender sex is mentioned in lists of prohibited activities are important, especially for uh, for their link to the Old Testament in 1 Corinthians 6.9 and 1 Timothy 1.10. Now, mind you, I will probably butcher this word, but arsenicatoi uh, is what is being condemned. This word is a compound word, and it means for male and uh, katoius, or intercourse, does not occur prior to the New Testament. Some modern writers have attempted to narrow its meaning from homosexual acts in general to male prostitution or solicitation of male prostitutes, or coupled with what is written in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, with malakoi, another obscure word, <clears throat> possibly meaning the effeminate, the active partners in homosexual relationships. These suggestions, however, ignore the Greek Old Testament versions of the Leviticus 18, 22, and 20, verse 13, which use both arsenaeus and katoian, the later passage placing them side by side literally means whoever lies with a male having intercourse as with a female. This is an obvious source of the compound word. Perhaps Paul himself, who knew and used the Septuagint extensively, or so, or some other Hellenistic Jew, not long before Paul's time, derived from the passages in Leviticus a compound word that described homosexual acts in general. This drawing in of Leviticus to Paul's letters is also significant in that it provides further demonstration that he perceived a moral and not merely purity-based prohibition of homosexual acts in the Old Testament. Again, there's a whole bunch on here. So, you know, we don't even scratch the surface with, um, with, with, with this topic. It is, it is extensive and, you know, values probably a, a whole series of a show dedicated to it. The point that I'm trying to get across is because it took me probably three or four hours of reading and studying just to come across some of these articles and, and well more to really, again, solidify what I had already believed demonstrates that there are people out there that speak on things that they're not qualified to speak on. And I will admit I am not a Greek philosopher I, or Greek linguist. I cannot speak Greek, read it or anything like that, I have to look at the word and be able to parse it using software or, um, you know, dictionaries and things like that. I cannot just read it and understand it. You know, like somebody like Chris Roseborough, who can read Hebrew and read Greek, is profoundly uh, acknowledgeable, uh, knowledgeable on these topics and will admit to having coming to the same conclusion that I do. And he could pick up the word and understand the history of the language. And yet... When people don't understand that the Bible, especially Leviticus, was translated to Greek in the 
uh, Septuagint, which came about 300 years or give or take before Christ, and which means that the authors of the New Testament were reading the Greek version of the Old Testament and therefore using the Greek wording from the Old Testament when they wrote their Greek New Testament. That is a huge piece. And most people won't take that into consideration, especially people who just want to use the line that, well, you know, the word homosexual wasn't invented until the 21st century and or the 20th century. And it wasn't used in the Bible until 1946 or 48 or, you know, whatever they want to throw out there. It's like, yeah, give it a break, man. The language speaks for itself. And the the construct of understanding how we derive these words is exceptionally important. And so um, I think it's, you know, it's, it's very important for us to really have respect for those who have taken the opportunity and have gone through, you know, seminary, have gone through language courses and with the authority of what they have accomplished can speak to these types of questions and answers. But again, that doesn't mean that everybody who has a degree means that they're capable of, um, of, of speaking on topics. For instance, Chris Roseborough just did a whole debunkle of a video where uh, this quote unquote, and I use quotes very heavily on this one, pastor uh, was giving a sermon on Matthew 1, where he says that Matthew mis, uh, misunderstood or misinterpreted Isaiah when Isaiah writes that the virgin will give birth. And he thinks that Mary essentially wasn't a virgin. He would assert that Jer- uh, Jesus was not born of the virgin, which is a heretical trail to walk down. And Chris obviously does a fine job at breaking down the language and speaking the Hebrew and speaking the Greek and uh, really demolishing this pastor's awful theological position. So just because you have the title of pastor or you've gone to seminary doesn't mean you're qualified to speak on topics. And especially in today's culture, just because one is a pastor doesn't mean they're qualified to lead a church or to shepherd a people. And we see this taking precedence everywhere right now where these big denominational churches and even in the uh, denominational churches, these big box people are are leading their sheep and they're leading their flocks astray simply because they want more money or they want more clout. They want the Instagram follows and the TikTok views and all this other crap. They are not qualified to lead churches. And we are seeing a huge explosion in non-orthodoxy type teaching. These people are not qualified to lead a church. So going back to Billy Bob, you know, like I said, I, I respect him in a lot of things, but when he comes, when he starts talking on the church, I just remind myself he's not qualified. I bite my tongue and I move on. It's not worth my time. It's not worth my energy to debate him because I frankly have better things to do with my life than debate people on social media. And it, it does bug me, but like I said, I just swallow my pride and move on because it's not worth it. And it's, it's just for you as a Christian, when you come across these types of things, what it should do to you is encourage you to do what I did and to study it, to dig into it, to get your resources and, and understand, is this person truly saying something that is worthwhile or are they trying to blow smoke up somebody's face? So if you don't have logos, get logos and you can build your library and you can use those tools just as I did to uh, better enhance your 
biblical understanding. So I use Logos every almost every day of the week, and it is a wonderful tool. If you want a discount on it, you can get a discount through Undying Light. We have the link in the show notes. I don't stress that very often on here, but it is a great tool, and it has helped me immensely when dealing with the you know the the crazies, if you would, of the social media. So the topic of that, you know, kind of runs back into the the twofold of, you know. If you have a smartphone and you share some, you know, quotes or, or Bible verses, then great. But don't try to take the position of being a theological leader because I've seen it, you know, kind of moving into part two of my rant on this one. I've seen it to where some people, especially in the Lutheran circles, young guys uh, get a small following and then they start to, you know, drop some piffy comments or trying to teach a particular topic and they certainly are not qualified to do so. And and I get it. You want to share things that you're working through or reading about or learning about and that's fine. But try to understand that for especially for the younger folk, you are still in a process of learning. And and I really have shied away from teaching Lutheran theology on my page on my social media pages because I don't in my own self, feel qualified to teach on it. I can preach it in my church and I can talk about it with my congregation, but that's a whole different ballpark than openly saying something on the social on the social media world. I really would have to, you know, write down word for word what I would say. I'd have to have a whole script in front of me because I don't want to trip up, you know, and somebody mistake me or misunderstand me. And so I try generally not to. St- to speak on a lot of things that are Lutheran based because I simply just, I personally don't feel qualified, but it doesn't mean that I'm not qualified to do it because I have a degree and I have the knowledge. I just don't feel that it's my place to do so. There's better minds out there on the social media world, Jordan Cooper or Chris Roseborough or Will Wheaton, you know, those guys are wonderful sources to pick up and listen to. You know, you go listen to podcasts like Lutheran Answers and you, you follow through with a lot of these prominent Lutheran people, and they can certainly help you. And I hope this this podcast does too. I hope that just the the simplistic, clear-minded guide through Scripture is is helpful to you. And that's what we've been doing on the show all year long is working through the Gospel of Matthew. So I hope you you know can appreciate that. But my show is not obviously a deep dive into the Lutheran faith. We did a series on Lutheran theology, and we did it in contrast to the Reformed theology uh, last year. So if you're interested in a little bit of that, you can go and look. But we didn't go exceptionally deep into it. It was not like one that was, you know, um, you know, writing books on the topic type thing. But it was, we, we covered the sacraments, we covered, um, you know, some of the major differences that the Lutheran faith has with uh, and against the uh, Reformed faith. And we left it really at about that. We just didn't dig into too much of the material. So, you know, you you could say I, I would consider myself qualified to preach in a church. Um, I, I do that every week, and, I've, and I'm very comfortable with it. But on social media, I just don't, it's just not my, it hasn't been my cup of tea. Maybe it will be in 2024. I don't know yet. We'll find out. So that is my piece beef about that. If you have a page, you follow a page and they just seem like they're 
they're kind of like really they're they're you know like the cage stagey type or they're all they want to do is beat up on this or beat up on that or rant about this and rant about that just just air caution to the wind on it um you know in in if they if they got good content or they got some humorous content follow along who cares but just whenever it comes to dealing with theology do yourself the the benefit and study a little bit more grab some books get some commentaries get some language translation books understand what is going on and what you're trying to work out uh, one of my goals for 2024 is to take the gospels and read uh, each of them with a an extensive deep dive and so i'm going to start probably with the gospel of john and i'm gonna start with john comment commentaries and i'm gonna start with john um you know, study Bibles, and I'm going to dig into the material, but I'm also going to look at it from a historical early church perspective. That is one of my key points is to dig into the material from as early citations as I possibly can get my hands on, because I want to, to really relive the, these gospels and not from, you know, a modern perspective. And so that's my goal for 24 is to, you know, study each of these over the course of three months, four Bibles, three, you know, three months each, it's 12 months right there. So that's the goal starting here next week. Okay. So this takes you kind of into part two of the rant, um, with the ruling of the Pope. And this, again, as I mentioned, was the conversation, uh, that kind of sparked the whole issue with Billy Bob, the, uh, social media influencer, and he was going on about how he doesn't think or how he thinks the Pope should do more and how the, the Catholic Church, because he says he grew up Catholic, uh, should take it upon themselves to um, push and allow for the for the marriage of, of two people who are homosexual. And as I mentioned, the construct of marriage cannot be a blessed union in the Church of Christ, in the Christian Church, if they are unable to fulfill what a marriage would be. And that is to be fruitful and multiply. That means have babies. You cannot have babies in a homosexual relationship unless you go out and you acquire them from a third party, whether it's adoption or surrogate or, or something else, you cannot have babies in of amongst yourself. You have to have a, a, you know, the sex between a man and a woman. That is how babies are done. You know, if you're a young person, ask your parents. But if you're, you know, for most of you who I'd assume are adults, this is the the foundation to the church. Churches grow and thrive on people having babies and those babies getting wrapped up into the church. And I kind of made some interesting statements the other day talking to some people in my congregation. I said, you know, we have a lot of young families coming to church, and that's wonderful. And uh, one of the couples... Um, the wife is pregnant again with their second ch- child, and I am just I'm I am so as- overjoyed for that because that shows that these young couples are are coming to church and they are having children and those children are coming to church and it is growing the ministry. In fact, in, here in just January, I will have two baptisms to do for two babies that had just been previously born, and I will have a third. Um, when this young couple has their second child. So I will have a third baptism in 24. Right out of the gate, I know I have three of them. And, you know, how awesome would it be to do one or two or three more? I mean, the baptisms of the infants are what make the church last. And so 
you don't get that in a homosexual relationship. And the other thing, too, I think to really consider is the Pope didn't come out and bluntly state that the Catholic priests can now bless a homosexual marriage. He said he they can bless the individuals in the union for, for whatever reasons, but they are not allowed to bless the union of those two individuals. So that's a pretty distinct understanding of the wording that he used there. And again, I'm not going to sit here and, and divulge and say I know all of the things of the Roman Catholic Church and everything that they are going through and all of the ins and outs of it because I just don't, I, I pay enough attention to know, but I don't pay that much attention to be an expert on it. And so I know that this is not a blessing for homosexual marriage, but it's a blessing to the people that uh, would be in a parish or, or, or something like that. So that is one thing that I think some of the Protestants really kind of jumped on the bandwagon and went after the fact that the Pope is now allowing homosexual marriage, which is not the case with this. So, uh, so that's really the ranting on those two particular topics. Um, I have a couple more obviously. And, uh, you know, it's when I do a show like this, that it can go a lot of different ways. I can just spend a whole show talking about this, that, and the other or talk about this topic, or talk about that topic. And I can spend a whole show talking about a single topic. I think we did one year, we just talked about politics. So it was uh, Nick and, and Anthony and Paul and me, and we just we just ranted on politics. And I think it was close to, it was the tw- I think it was right around the 2020 election time period, because I was here in Stratford. I remember, because my, my office was backwards from where it is today. My, my recording studio was against the other wall. And I remember that night because it was like two and a half hours and we were just ranting about the election and all of the things that were going on. And so we did that. And then I know we did, I don't know if you'd call it a rant, but we did a round table on eschatology. Um, I'm trying to think of, I, I did one rant. <laughs> this is kind of humorous. Like, like I think the first one I did was in 2021. Uh, no, it was 2020. It was, uh, and it aired in 21. So it was the 2020 Rantathon. It was like the first one I think I ever did. And I was moving out of my apartment and we were moving to Stratford at the time. And so uh, there w- we had no furniture in the apartment. So everywhere you walked or talked, it echoed really bad. So I had to go and lock myself in my daughter's old closet and, and kind of surround me with a few things so the echo wasn't so terrible. <laughs> I remember sitting in this little confined closet doing my Rantathon. <laughs> I think it was only like 45 minutes long that year. But it was great. You know, those things, those are those are fun things. And to think that I've been doing the show now uh, in February will mark oh, five years on this show, right? We started in 19, so 19 to 20, 20 to 21, to 22, to 23, now to 24. We have five years of shows. This episode, as it will air, will be the 339th episode that I've recorded and for the last three or so, three or four years, because when did Paul and I break up? We broke up in 2020, and I took over the, the summer of 2020. And since the since I took over with that series, I have not missed a Friday episode. I have had some late issues and you know early, late releases, but I've always had a show on Fridays, and I've never missed a single episode. I've been consistent and continue to produce content and 
honestly, uh, probably in the last two years, I haven't even looked really at my listener rate. I know I have people who listen because uh, people will message me and say, oh, I love that show. And, oh, hey, I have a question about this. Or, hey, you, you're the worst person I've ever met. And, you know, hey, great, whatever. But <laughs> it's it's an honor to do this. And I love this show. And, and I my, my plan is to not stop. My plan is to continue working through every book in the Bible and even if that means kind of flipping, flopping around, you know, as we do Matthew, we're going to go to the book of Acts next. And then we might go back and do some Old Testament. We might do, you know, Joshua or something. Maybe we'll do a little bit of history of Israel or I don't know yet. So the, the premise, you know, is to continuously produce episodes every week. No break. Every Friday, new episodes. And so I try to keep them at 30 minutes because I know that can get overwhelming. If you get, you know, behind four or five episodes, then it's only like two hours versus you know, six hours. So I try to keep them at 30 minutes or less. And sometimes they come in at like 20 minutes. Sometimes they come in at like 32 minutes. So that's the goal. Uh, this one, just because I'm ranting and just talking, obviously we're at 40 minutes now. So it's going to be a little bit longer uh, of an episode, which is totally f- fine. I think once a year that I release a long episode. <laughs> so, but all right, so let's move on to uh, two more topics. I think we'll, we'll cover today. Maybe we'll get into another one. I don't know. So on my list, I have random stuff of the year, (laughs) Um, which I don't know what I meant when I wrote that, but it basically probably means just junk and garbage that I had witnessed on social media over the past 12 months. Now, I wish I had done a better job at keeping track of some of the obscure stuff. And maybe I'll try to do this next year. It's like I'll just kind of bookmark like the the most random things um, that I've come across, but I've got a couple that I know off the top of my head, and the most of them come from the world of Twitter now, um, or formerly known as Twitter, but now called X. Um, and the 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 whole premise is kind of funny. There's a couple pages that just drive me nuts. Um, and I'm going to see if I can grab their pages on my Twitter account or X account or whatever you want to call it now. Um, and there is one. He is, his name is Kevin uh, M. I can't recall his last name. And now I got to find it. And it's going to drive me nuts. Oh, boy. He, he kind of pops up in my newsfeed. I don't follow him, but... Um, some of the people that I do follow will comment on his stuff because he is just, uh, he is way out there in some of his theology. And of course he's a liber liberationist, I guess maybe that would be a good word for it. He's somebody that, uh, discusses how, you know, the church should be more, um, accepting of this and that and more, you know, progressive in this nature and that. And so he, he really tries to quote-unquote shake the tree branches oh here it is dr kevin m young that's that's his last name kevin m young he's and this is his bio he's a pastor author avid weightlifter consultant certified personal trainer doctorate early church faith formation post evangelical and he hosts a podcast jacked theology and then he has his uh, pronouns he him and rev what a what a, what a mess! Um, just good grief. So this guy, 
um, he's he's just he's he's a he's a unusual character. And again, I can't I don't know him personally, so I'm not going I'm not about to slander him. I mean, I like to lift weights and I like to delve into the early church fathers, and so I I you know understand where he's coming from. So it's just, please don't assume that I'm going to just um, tarnish his name. But I want to draw an attention to his theology. That is the premise when we call out false teachers. It's not to slander the person. It is to address their terrible theology. And we could uh, get into some of these, um, these, these terrible takes. Uh, here's a post from... December 20th here, just, just recently. Jesus wasn't illegitimate. You are a blasphemer and a heretic. You will burn in hell for all eternity. This is what somebody quoted him because he made a post uh, that Jesus was an illegitimate child of Mary. Just, just to tell you where he's going from. He says, my dude, words have meaning. Literally, your entire theology rests on his illegitimacy. Find a dictionary. So he says that Jesus was illegitimate. And our entire theology is based upon Jesus being an illegitimate child of Mary and Joseph. That is frightening. That is frightening. If that's his kind of pretext or his position. Um, And I am just kind of scouring through um, some other stuff here. And trying to really, you know, find some more things that really just kind of like jump out as like, oh my goodness, this is terrible. And I made some comments on my post. Um, he he just gets into it, it, it's we call it maybe the pity conversation. Like he's like, oh pity me type thing. Like here we go from the fourteenth of December this holiday. Do not invite your LGBTQ family members and friends to quote unquote churches with toxic doctrine that push people further from, from God. So first of all, I would say don't invite people to church that have terrible doctrine to begin with. If, if it's toxic, don't bring them. I don't care if they're straight, gay or blue or purple. Don't bring them. You take people to where they will hear the word of God preached in a, in a law and gospel defined manner. That's what we do as Christians, right? Okay. So, I can understand uh, family tables that will inflict trauma. Okay. Well, uh, anything, I mean, or anybody could be, you know, a recipient of that. And so I don't know why he has to single out his, his, uh, LGB alphabet crowd here because, you know, there could be people like, in, you know, use my family, for example, you know, there's, there's, there's trauma in my family. We have, you know, families bicker and fight and argue. It's everybody's family. And so why would we want to associate, or bring up things that would cause harm to those sitting around us. He says, do not bring them to situations where they are not fully loved as is. Well, okay, so here's here's where his argument starts to kind of falter because he's basically saying, don't take him to a church that's going to call them a sinner. So that's like saying, don't take a sinner to a church where they will be called a sinner. I don't know if I could head palm hard enough for you to hear unless I smash my head into the table about how oxymoronic that statement is. These individuals need just as much as anybody else. They need to hear the gospel. They need to know that Christ will forgive them. 
And if they can't hear that, then you are doing them a massive disservice. And so uh, I'm going to see. Maybe I'll go to my my page because I might have. Whoop. No, I don't want to subscribe Twitter. I don't care about you enough. Uh, let's see here. Do, do, do retweets. I got a whole bunch of junk in here. Not junk. Actually, some good stuff. Um, oh, here we go. This is not him, but on today's stupid posts. If you follow my ex, it's kind of comical because I just I'm just kind of a jerk there. Uh, Gregory Knight says, "Happy Jesus free." Christmas holidays. You too, Christians, one day will learn that we, that we're all God free. And it's Mary posing with a um, a pregnancy test. Oh my gosh, I'm pregnant. What will I tell Joseph? I know, I'll tell him God did it. He'll believe all that stuff. Well, funny enough to this moronic idiot that posts this up, the angel visited Joseph too. When Joseph finds out that Mary's pregnant, what does Joseph do? Being a just and righteous man, he de- decides to divorce her quietly. Instead of doing what he could have done and had her stoned to death for having extramarital relationships, Joseph decides that he is going to divorce her quietly. But then the angel comes to Joseph and says, oh, no, 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 hold up. What she said is right. She will have a son and you will name him Jesus and he will be called Emmanuel for God is with us. Right? So we have just idiots galore. Oh, and then Christianity today. This one was great. Jesus was born in Asia, and he was Asian. And that one just was like, oh, goodness. I, oh, that one got suspended. Interesting. Oh, this person, I remember, um, was ranting about uh, uh, language of some form. And I said, you have a degree in history, and you fail to understand that translations of names in the historical nature of the Bible. Oh, cause she was saying that she's never heard of a Greek or a Jew named John and Matthew and all that. And I said, yeah, cause you never considered the fact that we would translate their names from Greek or from Hebrew or from, you know, Aramaic and put that into English. And then you get the English rendering of the name, you know, that seems to escape people. Um, here's one from Carissa. I'm just reading through my page. So this is this, this is the chaos from this year. Uh, if you're a Christian looking to be a better alphabet ally, thoughtfully consider switching to a fully affirming denomination in 2024. I said, or, or, or hang with me on this one. Just preach Christ and let the chips fall as they do. Why is that so hard for these people to just preach Christ? To just do it. Just preach Christ and let the chips fall. If I had a person come into my church and that they were homosexual, I would welcome into my church, I would shake their hands, and I would give them the gospel. Of course, they wouldn't get the gospel until I level the law upon them, but they would get both the law and the gospel, and they would know that what they have in their life is sinful. It's the same thing as if I have an alcoholic or a porn addict or whoever come into my church. They're going to hear the law that their sin is condemning them to hell and it is killing themselves and the people around them. And then I will give them the gospel. That is that in a nutshell. Oh, the new evangelicals. Oh, that one's a, that one, they're a trip and a half. They're just so wacky anyways. Um, I thought I had a couple from Kevin saved in here. Go follow my, you don't have to follow my Twitter page. It's just on dying light podcast, but you don't have to follow it. Um, <laughs> Just mostly because I don't, I don't care. I don't really do much. Oh, here we go. 
Uh, it's Kevin Young. But you, if you really want to just kind of humor yourself, you'll see some of my ridiculous stuff that I come across. <laughs> Here it goes. He says, Jesus wasn't born in Rome. Now, or, hold on. This is from the 20th, right? Jesus wasn't born in Rome. He wasn't born to a prophet, priest, or powerful ruler. He was the illegitimate birth to a teenage girl who had to run as a refugee to keep him safe. Jesus is found in the down and out, oppressed, forgotten, dismantled, dismissed, and forced to just exist. Okay, so that that's what Kevin, Mr. Kevin, the doctor, said. And I reply with, I'm like, oh, you were doing so good with the first two sentences. And then you just go way off and end up in your woke garbage pile, which he was, right? Jesus wasn't born in Rome. He was born in Bethlehem, which was in Judea. He wasn't born a prophet. Well, he technically was, or he wasn't born to, I'm sorry. He wasn't born to a prophet, priest, or powerful ruler. He wasn't, but he was born a prophet, priest, and ruler. So Christ was born as that, but not born to that. So he also wasn't an illegitimate child, which just this, that whole statement really, it's just, it's like almost every year they try to make Jesus into this like woke person. Like he, you know, he's the refugee and he's getting, you know, the, the brown skinned, you know, Middle Eastern guy or black Jesus or whatever they try to do. It, it, they try to ascribe some random attribute to, to the, to the point of who Christ is. Um, and, and somebody goes, what's your source? Uh, you know, what, what's your source question mark? And I said himself, <laughs> and that's true. It's just like you, he, he has no, no historical premise to say that Jesus was illegitimate. And yet here he is running his mouth saying that he does. And that to me just baffles my mind. So that is just a snapshot of just probably the last two or three weeks of the kind of wacky crap I've come across on Twitter. And now we get into some, uh, some fun stuff. And this guy, his name, I'm not going to say his name. His name is Chad. I shared his, his post uh, because Mr. Chad is a heretic. But here, let's just say what's funny, right? I am so thankful God chose me and worked out my salvation. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, Psalm 139 shows how in control God is. I am 100% responsible for my own sins. It sounds like Mr. Chad here is a Calvinist. And now that doesn't necessarily have any weight on anything about what I'm about to say about him. Again, not judging him as a character. I don't know the man, don't know anything about him. I am judging his theology. And so his position as being a Calvinist has no factor on this. However, if this is what the new Calvinist movement is pushing towards, because I'm not seeing it just in him, I'm seeing it in a lot of these people on Twitter or X formerly known as Twitter. I'm seeing it a lot of people on social media, especially on Instagram, that these people claim to be reformed or Calvinist and they are pushing themselves into modalism or some other form of Gnosticism or another, you know, uh, type of Sabarellianism, you know, type heresy. They are finding every route to be a heretic that is possible. So let's look here at the top. He makes a post and says, is this idol worship? And it's got Mary standing, it looks like, at the altar, um, you know, with her hands down over the altar. And then it looks like it's got a couple angels on the side. And then this person says, the mother of God is not an idol. And Mr. Chad says, God didn't, God, God don't have a mother, P- proper grammar, yes. And yes, Mary is an idol. 
wait, Jesus is not God? And he, Chad says, yes, Jesus is God. Mary is not, Mary is only the mother of Jesus's humanity. Not my problem. You can't grasp that. And I said, it, and so I quoted it, it is heresy to separate the divinity of Christ from his humanity. And I, I understand, because I had actually a conversation with a, another Lutheran friend of mine on here, and I understand that the potential could be made, or the argument could be made, that Jesus, the deity, predates Mary by eternity. And that is very well in, well, to, to, you know, attested. That is what we believe. We believe that Jesus always was, right? Because John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John asserts that Jesus Christ was from the beginning. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. We know that he predates Mary. That's not what we're arguing. And so I, I understand that. If, if he would have asserted that Christ being the Word predates Mary, then we could have a, an actual legitimate conversation with this person. But it sounds like Mary only gives birth to the humanity of Jesus, and yet the divinity of Christ is separate at the time of birth and would not come to him until later. And in fact, I believe I see another post from Chad later on that states that he was not a... Um, he was not, uh, it wasn't not until his baptism that Jesus becomes fully man, fully God, which again is heresy to separate the divine from the humanity. The, to separate the hypostatic union is heretical by and large. And so we see these people now uh, trying to go so far to break down the construct of Mary that they will actually fall into heresy to defend their dis dislikement or, or distaste of Mary. And I think this has been a fairly common issue amongst many of the Protestant movement, uh, especially these last few years where it has almost taken on this like dis this hateful position against Mary, trying to remove her from having sort of any purpose in Scripture or in the character and nature of Jesus Christ uh, whatsoever. And, you know, in opposition to the Roman Catholics, right, you know, I'm not venerating her or praying to her, but I acknowledge her as blessed because she states that every generation forward would remember her as being blessed. I mean, she carried the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the incarnate God, and I think that has something to say. I think that is an important piece. I think she played a very important role in all of it. So I, I really staunchly stand against the whole notion that Mary isn't as worthy as the Protestants try to make her out to be. And especially some of these fringe movements that really are going to such an extreme to separate Christ uh, in his humanity and his divinity. And I think that's, you know, massively doing a disservice to people, um, you know, on social media and across the spectrum. And again, this comes to a position where if you're not qualified to talk about things, don't talk about it. If you, if you are, if you read the book of Concord and you know the book of Concord and you know Lutheran theology and you want to discuss it, discuss it. That's fine. 
but don't make assumptions or quotes when you are not qualified to make them. And that's really kind of the premise of the rant, I think, because we have people even with the you know a, a doctorate, right, in theology, as, as Kevin has demonstrated, who probably got his degree from a woke mill uh, degree mill, and he's just churning out all this nonsensical garbage that makes him feel good about himself. Because you have a degree doesn't mean you're qualified, and just because you've watched some YouTube videos doesn't mean you're qualified. So it's on both ends of the spectrum. You know, the scholarly people can equally be unqualified from dealing with situations just because they have a very poor understanding of the historical nature of the Bible and Christ and Christianity, which really baffles me because when I went through seminary, I spent, you know, years studying the church and church history and uh, the construct of the Bible and all of that stuff. I spent all three and a half years working through all of that material. And again, I would never claim to be an expert in the field because I'm far from it, but at least I feel more confident in my knowledge than these yahoos that push these woke ideologies or these heresies that the divinity of Christ wasn't complete until his baptism or the transfiguration or something those are very dangerous positions to be in. So with everything, take what is said on the internet with a grain of salt. Take what I say with a grain of salt. Just you know, put everything under the lens of Scripture and examine it there. And if we fail to do that, then we, are, we fail ultimately in our role as Christians to examine and be that Berean, if you would, of Scripture where we uh, put everything under the lens and under the magnifying glass of Scripture and look at what is being said. And if we as Christians have the viewpoint that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, then that is what governs how we deal with these, you know, kind of out there type texts. So um, that's really it, you know, in terms of the ranting. A lot of it's just it's just bad social media. And it's been kind of the same thing over the last probably five or six years, uh, if not even longer. You know, I've had my social media page, I think, since like 2014 or 2015 or something like that. Uh, I've been locked out of it for the last week where I can't like, comment, or post anything. All I can do is share stories and comment and DM. So it's kind of a weird block that they have on me. They don't give me a reason. I can't dispute it. I've sent tickets in. Obviously, they don't look at tickets. They don't care about them. So, you know, social media is kind of a bust for me right now. And what aggravates me, I think, above anything else is more than likely somebody got salty because I made a comment that they didn't agree with. And they, you know, uh, reported my account and my, my account got, um, you know, tagged and, and, you know, restricted from doing certain actions, which is comment like and, and, um, and post uh, stories or post uh, new content, new reels, things like that. So it's frustrating and it's stupid and it's childish. And social media is not a great platform for theological debates. Theological debates should be done in a proper, you know, platform where you're, you have a table and you can debate back and forth and you can prepare your debates and you can deal with it in a proper debate structure, not chatting back and forth on social media. I think discussions are great. And I think having differences of opinions is, is great. And I think working through some of that is fine. But I certainly don't find social media, and I've said this from the very get-go, social media is not the place to, you know, to, to charge in and, and debate people on topics. It's just 
it's it's poor choice and I think it's poor class, if you would even. So, you know, social media has always been kind of a sticking point for me. And, and I've even kicked the idea around for probably the last four or five years, whether I just want to get rid of it entirely. You know, I have a, a ministry here in person. I have a hospice ministry that I work with and I don't usually have the time to do social media stuff. And so if I do share a video or I share content, it's, you know, it's not as thought out or worked on as it used to be in the past. And I, I mean, there was a time when I was writing eight to 10 posts a day on my page just to, just to get my content out there and to gather followers. And I got a lot of followers, but it didn't do anything for me. You know, 24,000 people who follow my page, it doesn't amount to anything. It's just, a, it's just a number. I could have four people and it would be the same thing. But social media has always been a sticking point and there's always problems there. And so... You know, like I say, don't get your theology from TikTok. Don't get it from social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call them. Don't take it from there. Get into some commentaries. Get into some books, uh, theological books, historical church fathers, early church fathers. Get into that material and, and study. If you are absolutely serious about learning more, look and see about taking some seminary classes and you can take it through a lot of places. You can often get them for dirt cheap or free, but find classes where you can take and educate yourself on the topics that you are, you know, that you're infatuated with. Don't allow somebody on YouTube or somebody with a website to tell you something. And then you grab onto that thinking that this is true or real. And then it'd be a whole bunch of hogwash because you know, especially, you know, when it comes to the topic of eschatology, um, you know, there's a video that Sean McDonald put out talking about Jesus didn't go to hell so that he could forgive you of your sins. But the way he constructed it was that Jesus didn't descend at all. And, you know, as a Christian, we say, okay, the work of Christ was complete on the cross. And from there, we know that Christ had to descend because Peter and Paul both make reference to it. And by his descent, he goes to those who were imprisoned in the underworld. And again, we can talk about how the uh, Greek word for hell is Hades, or is this Abraham's bosom that he goes to, or is it the place of the dead? Hades literally means land of the dead. Um, So either one of those, however we translate it, that's what happened on or around the time that Christ died on the cross, this takes place. And we further can assert it because in Matthew 27, we see the dead come out of their tombs and walk amongst the living. Those are three important verses to handle. Now, I would agree with Sean that Jesus didn't have to go to the underworld or hell or Hades, whatever title you want to give it. He says hell because that's what the Apostles' Creed states. He, you know, The Apostles' Creed states, and he descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again. Well, we know he descended because he has to ascend. Paul makes that very clear. And so we know that he goes and speaks to the spirit's captive, but his action in the descent doesn't matter in regards to our salvation. It is, it is not applicable. It is merely just a byproduct of what happened after the death on the cross. And the reason I make this statement is because 
this is another case in point of if you were to listen to just the segment, it would seem like nothing happened after the death that Jesus just goes to heaven. And granted, there is speculation what happened in those in those few days between the death on the cross and the, resur- the resurrection of the grave. It is a lot of speculation. However, to just assert that the descent never happened really is a disservice to the early church and the understanding of what takes place. And so there's a good book uh, out there and I forget who wrote it, but it's called he uh, descended and he descended to the dead. And uh, that's an older translation of the apostles creed, or you could even call it a modern translation. Um, I like he descended to the dead because that I feel makes it more historically Jewish than descend to hell. And I always argue the construct of hell as we think about it, the hellfire and brimstone isn't a place yet until the day of judgment when the lake of fire is open for Satan and all of his minions and all of those who do not believe the goats. So I assert that there is a place of utter darkness, gnashing of teeth and wailing that exists for unbelievers when they die. But I do not or would not call it necessarily hell until we get to the day of judgment. So to do a video like that you are you know even somebody as as knowledgeable as sean is you're doing a disservice to the community because now you're essentially leaving these people with these questions that otherwise wouldn't have needed to be answered now if he was responding to a question which he didn't have posted that i saw in his video um and maybe he said you know and and to further unpack this I have a podcast or I've got a full-length video that discusses this topic on my YouTube channel. No, he just simply gives you a minute and a half explanation and then lets it go. And this is the problem that, again, I have with social media, and especially for those who take their content or take their theology from social media because you are only getting bits and pieces to such a massive system. Christianity is is extraordinarily deep and complex as yet, and as as simple as it is the simplicity of christianity that christ died for your sins is far deeper and more complex when you start to unpack the history and the acknowledgement of what christ has done and how he accomplished those means and the overarching history of god all of these things are complex and take time of study and if we don't commit ourselves to study then we are doing ourselves and those around us a big disservice. And so, again, I am fully on board with, you know, taking time and reading the Gospels and digging into the material because that is their only solution to countering all of these terrible preachers and people who have platforms that teach false theologies and bad theology. Get into the Bible, study it, and read it and and hold on to it and cling to it and you'll be able to draw out and call out all of the false teachers that you come into contact with so um you know like i said i can rant and rave all i want about social media and just kind of vent about that but you know the other thing that i really just kind of want to talk about mostly falls around the kind of the, the condition of the nation and the uh the decay of society as, as we see it, we're seeing it with a, you know, here in the United States with the border on the South, that's wide open and thousands upon thousands of illegal immigrants are pouring across to every single day. 
and we are seeing record numbers of people coming into this country, many who we can't vet. Uh, we don't know whether they're criminals or not. Some outlets are pointing to the fact that there are certain types of nationalist people coming in who uh, hate America, and we've got terrorists who are coming in. We have drug cartels who are coming in, and they are not being checked. They're not being challenged. They are just flooding into the country and planting a flag somewhere. And, in fact, I heard just a, a story the other day from my wife who cuts the hair of a gentleman that we're friends with, and he has a friend who got into a head-on collision with, guess what, Ill- illegal immigrant here in Iowa. And the illegal immigrant was here living on the farm of a farmer uh, a town or two away, and the farmer didn't have insurance on his equipment and obviously didn't have papers for this guy or any way to attest for it. And so uh, luckily the the guy in the accident, the citizen – survived, but I think they had to amputate part of his leg because it was just a mangled mess. And he should have been dead, right? The doctors told him he should have been dead on the uh, at the scene of the accident. And so luckily, and thank God, he pulled through. And uh, interestingly enough now, he um, has gone and wants to become a Christian and wants to read the Bible. Um, and my wife's friend who knows this guy is a big Christian. He brought him a Bible and is sharing him the gospel. And and that's wonderful. You know, so that's a, it's a wonderful story, but it's like, if it takes a losing of a limb and a severe accident to push people into that realm, that's, that's tragic, but it's, you know, praise God for it. But at the end of the day, it's like how much of that would be preventable, you know, cause is out, is every one of those going to have the same outcome? And the chances are very slim to none. And, we got lucky with this situation that this gentleman become is becoming a Christian and wanting to know about theology, wanting to read the Bible and wanting to study. And I think that's fantastic. So the problem with the nation just by and large is the decay of societal norms and societal morality. We would rather, you know, kill our babies in the womb than have to raise them and have a burden. If you would on our shoulders, we would rather slaughter them dismantle them versus uh, putting them up for adoption or taking on the challenge of actually raising them. We find our comforts to be ahead of everybody else's and we don't care who, th- who knows about that. We, we are a lazy, uneducated, decaying generation. And I made a statement today in my Bible study that my generation, the 40-year-olds the, the and younger, are, are surrounded with the most knowledge in the world, and yet we are the dumbest generation to walk the face of the earth because we have no attention span. We can't bother to actually adhere or hold on to knowledge. We'd rather just Google search it and then forget about it. And we can't read books. We can't study. We can't apply ourselves to anything. We are literally, by and large, the dumbest generation to walk the face of the earth. And I'm not saying this for everybody because I know a lot of people who are exceptionally intelligent, but I'm saying kind of in a broad stroke, we are, we are failing quickly because we, we fall into the category of subjective morality where my truth and my reality supersedes yours. And what my desires are, those supersede yours. So it's very, very challenging and from a Christian perspective of how do we interact with these people? How do we encounter these people? How do we preach to them the gospel? 
And the same, it's the same way to them as everybody else. We, we deliver to them Christ and we say, Christ forgives you of your sins. But we have to acknowledge that these people have a sin problem. And so that's just, you know, the kind of the, the, the pit of it all, right? Our country, as normal, in the last three years, we've seen record high inflations, record high prices on, on so many things. It is crippling uh, so many families. In fact, you know, up until this year, my wife and I had no problem surviving on my salary at the church, but now we need additional income so we can survive and put food on the table and take care of our kids. And it's challenging because now I have to essentially set aside my, my desires for the ministry and put those, you know, closer kind of into a bottle, a bundle and focus on another job that doesn't quite frankly mean anything to me, but I have to have it because we need income to survive. I need the money in order to take care of my family. And it is, it is exceptionally sad to see that the condition of this nation is so far uh, gone that it's only going to get worse for us. And I think about that in the framing of if the nation goes down the drain, where do Christians stand? Do we follow it down the drain or do we focus on fighting within our own little faith communities for what is right and what is good? How do we stand for the truth of the gospel? And even if that means encountering that persecution that nobody wants to encounter, we have to stand and make a stand against the ways of this world and we have to fight and we have to stand strong for Christ. And and I'm not saying we have to pick up arms and go to war, but what I'm saying by fighting is standing on the foundation of the Bible and on God's word. And if we can't do that, then we are going to we are going to lose what little comfort we have left in this world. And maybe that's good for us. Maybe that maybe this is a good reality check for Christians because what you'll soon find out if the government truly does get their hands on everything and starts to crush everything is you will see the people who do not believe will be rewarded. The people who do believe will be uh, unrewarded, but judgment day comes and those who are the goats, those who do not believe will be ushered into the lake of fire while those who believe will be ushered into eternal life. And so we have that promise and we hold on to that promise. Even when people in our lives, our families fail at, upholding their end of the bargain. And so it's just one of those things that we have to consider in the grander scope of things that this nation without Christianity is, is going to crumble even faster, but with Christianity kind of as a side tangent, it is not going to be, you know, it won't be quite as quite as quick. It'll be a little more profound. However, just because Christians are here doesn't mean that this nation can't fall. And it probably will. It will be overtaken by some other nation, some other foreign body who wants to rule this country. And more than likely, our leadership, our government will turn it over to them. And there will be very little fighting, but then the oppression will set in, the persecution will set in, and we will experience those hardships. And so that's just really... That's really just that. I, I don't know what else I can say on it. It just kind of bugs me because, you know, I don't want to say we're losing our Christian liberties because we don't really have liberties. 
you know, uh, as Christians, we're, we're just sojourners in this world. We're just pilgrims passing through. We, we don't have a Christian nation. We don't have Christian rights within a nation. We have a nation that is constructed based upon the Ten Commandments and based upon some of those laws, but we do not have a Christian nation that will, you know, as the post-millennialist position state that the world will get more Christ-like before he returns, therefore to inaugurate the new heavens and new earth, which we don't see that anywhere in scripture uh, unless we cherry pick text. What we see is the world going to get darker and darker and darker. This is what the world is going to do. It will get exceptionally dark and exceptionally tormented, but this is what we've been promised. And that's where I'm going to leave it. I think, um, I'm don't know what else I could rant about. I mean, I've got kind of hit everything I wanted to this year. I mean, there's always stuff, right? I, you know, all the sound issues I've had this year that really irked me. Um, but I'm glad we got it figured out. I'm glad the show's back on its normalcy. Um, I'm going to try and apply myself to read more next year. That's another goal of mine that I feel disappointed about for this year. But, uh, you know, all in all, I think we've had, uh, a good year. The show's been going well. We've had a number of podcasts drop this year and we continue to release new episodes every Friday and you people are still listening to it. So, um, I'll, I'll leave it here, you know, get you in an hour and a half and I hope you guys, you know, on your new year's day or, um, whenever you catch this, you know, have some time to enjoy it. And, you know, um, by all means, shoot me, uh, um, messages and let me know. And we can always do a, a 2024, get some stuff in my, on my little, uh, cup thing here, my little coaster that I have on my desk. Um, so yeah, shoot me some ideas for 24's rant and, or, you know, if you come across stuff throughout the year, just be like, Hey, this would be a great topic for you to rant on, you know, and we'll put it, put it on the chalkboard and go to town. So, um, yeah so that's it uh you guys have a great week Uh, we'll be back friday with uh the end of chapter 20 matthew and so that's that ladies and gentlemen have a great week god bless Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.